what are we doing today? We're reading the Bible and we're studying stuff in Acts. This is the third part in a series of Acts entitled Peter's Passion and Preaching. If you'll look on the handouts, if you could take those out and take a look at those, on that handout you'll notice the subtitle, and that's the one I want you to pay attention to today, and that is Passion for the Message of Christ. Passion for the Word. Do you have a passion for the Word? Do you have a passion for what Jesus has taught you? Do you have a passion for His healing power? Do you have a passion for His wisdom? Do you have a passion for His guidance? I certainly do in my life. Um, and I would like to uh, hope that many of you do as well. But uh, you're going to need a Bible because we're going to read the Bible today. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. we got the guys right back there waiting for your hand. They're going to grab a Bible and hand it to you. Keep your hand up till you get one. And I need those of you that are going to grab a red Bible to turn to page 771. For the rest of you, that's Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Would you all turn there and follow along with me? We're going to be reading in just one moment. But as we get started, we've got a couple more coming in here. Excellent. And Jason's bringing one to you, John. Hold on one second. And also Jen right over here on the side. Let me review where we're at. Maybe you haven't been to the first two parts of this series, and so I'll just catch us up. What happened so far? Well, the Pentecost happened, or the day of Pentecost, really erupted with the coming of the Holy Spirit. The church got launched. And as a matter of fact, the beginning started out with the five promises of Christ. And and he said, you know what? Things are really going to change around here. And i got all kinds of power that's going to come down to you. The Holy Spirit's going to show up. Someday I'm going to return. Someday I'm going to restore my kingdom. But for now, you got my Holy Spirit. I'm never going to abandon you. You got power. And he just continues to say, you'll have gifts. You'll have all kinds of things, right? He gives you a bunch of uh, promises. But then the second part is that he launches out and weird stuff erupted. All kinds of oddities began to happen. About 120 were in the room, a little group, a little bit, maybe slightly bigger than this, maybe by 15 people or what have you. It looks like this. They were all in a room and it says they were sitting down and just like you. And all of a sudden, bam, just out of nowhere, the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the place. The Holy Spirit shows up. It looks like tongues of fire separate and set on everybody's heads. They all of a sudden start getting all fired up to talk about Jesus Christ. They have a spirit of worship. They get all excited. They start speaking in other languages. They pour out of the building, out into the streets. People have gathered from everywhere. Thousands of people have gathered around because they heard this crazy noise. They want to know what's going on. They've circled outside at least 3,000 people. And as the 120 go out, led by the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles, as they go walking out, everybody's praising God and they're so into Jesus They're so into the Lord and everything that He's done. Perhaps they begin to walk towards the temple. And at the temple, they come in contact with thousands of more people. And all of a sudden, you wonder, what is this all about? Well, it's given validation to the early church because the Jews are going to disqualify and say, ah, this whole new new Christian thing, I don't know. I don't know if that's legit or not. So partly it was validation. Partly it was to draw a crowd. And it was drawing a crowd for a reason. And you get to see the reason today. Peter is about to step up as the authority. He's about to step up on behalf of the apostles on a half, on behalf of the 120, and he's about to give a message. That message is what we're studying today. This very message, what you're about to hear this morning, leads 3,000 people to Jesus Christ. You ever done that? Me neither. <laughs> I never led 3,000 people to Jesus Christ. I don't even know what it's like. But I can relive it through here. 
is the first event that the church gets to do. First event started with the Holy Spirit. God always starts it. But then we got a job to do. Peter's about to step up to the plate. Let's read this together. Acts 2.14. You can follow along. Uh, I'm reading out of the NIV here if you got one of those. If not, you got to be quick. Acts 2.14. Let me start here. Peter stood up with the eleven and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this bizarre happening. Listen carefully to what I say. These men aren't drunk like you think. It's only nine in the morning. Come on. Now, this was spoken by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. He said, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people, just like what you're looking at now. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Just like that is what you just saw. This is like a little snippet, maybe just the beginning of what's happening. But it's going to get crazier. Look in verse 19. I will show, and this is later on, I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, billows of smoke, sun turned to darkness, the moon to blood. And that's all going to happen before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. But you know what's important, everyone? He says in verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he begins to reason with the men of Israel. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a guy not too far from here, perhaps some of you knew him, was a man accredited or approved by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Many of you saw it. Many of you guys lived it. Verse 23. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you. What, by a traitor? No, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. So you nailed him to a cross. But luckily... Or by predetermined plan, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it's impossible for death to keep his hold on him. As a matter of fact, King David in the Old Testament, Psalm 16, said, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. Speaking on behalf of the Messiah, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, and my body will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence, the Messiah said. Then he begins to reason again, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day, and perhaps Peter pointed to it because it was not far away. But David was a prophet, and the fact that he knew that God promised him on oath that he would place one of his own descendants on his throne, known as the Davidic Covenant. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke out of the, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. You see, God has raised this very same Jesus to life. And we, pointing to the eleven behind him, pointing to the hundred and twenty, perhaps, we are all witnesses of this fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And because he's in that place, because he's risen again, because he's ascended to the Father, he has poured out what you see right now and what you heard. Because David never ascended to heaven. But yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Of course, he was talking on behalf of the Messiah again. Verse 36. 
Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. There's one thing you've got to know. God made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, when the thousands of people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what do we do? Peter said, I got an answer, perhaps not the answer you want, but the answer that will make you live. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. No other reason, just because you're saved. Verse 39, the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, that's us today, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Notice this is just a snippet of his message. It was much longer. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation, he argued. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Huge. Why did this message mean so much? Why did so many people respond? And how do we have that type of ministry in our lives, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you open our eyes to see? Would you allow us to see the message and perhaps, Father, have that message buried in our hearts that at a moment's notice you would call us out, you would draw a crowd, and we would preach. Whether it be in the office, whether it be in our houses, whether it be with our friends or our neighbors, empower us to do your will. Empower us to proclaim your message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Peter stands up with the eleven standing around him like bodyguards. These guys are all standing there. They've already had this amazing experience with worship with God, which, by the way, always increases your faith. Don't you guys feel more power, power packed when you leave church than like on Tuesday night or whatever? <laughs> That's why I go to Wednesdays, because I don't have enough strength to get through the whole week, you see. So then I stop off on Wednesdays, get refilled, and then I move on again. Uh, by the way, if you guys haven't ever been to Wednesdays, Wednesdays are fantastic. There's a worship time, there's classes, there's all kinds of exciting stuff. But here's the deal. After you have a worship service, like perhaps the one that we just had, after you have the Holy Spirit come upon you in a mighty way, after you're out there speaking other languages, perhaps, what these guys did, and they were proclaiming the Word of God, they come walking out and they're just amped. They're just ready to go. They are filled up to the very top with God. And they come walking out and they see all these people that they used to be afraid of. It wasn't many verses before where it says they locked the door for fear of the Jews. Do you remember that? They were all nervous and scared. What's going to happen to us? They're going to persecute us. They're going to laugh at us. They're going to make fun of us. They're going to kill us. And all of a sudden, just walking through these streets comes this whole herd of people with these 12 guys right out in front with their head held high and they're just walking out proclaiming Jesus' name and they're going through these things and they stand out where they can speak to everyone and Peter steps up to the plate and he raises his voice and he says, Hey! I got a message today. I've been seeing some pretty weird stuff and I want to explain it to you. Jesus is alive. Now he raised his voice in order to be heard. I raise my voice because I'm loud. Alright? It's just a natural thing for me. I don't need to raise my voice, but I do. As a matter of fact, my wife always asks me why I do that. But anyway, it's all just natural to me. Peter starts out and he says, we got something to tell you. Looks behind him, and there's John, James, Nathaniel, 
Philip, Thomas. They're all standing behind me. We stand here in complete unity about one message. Now, we argue about who gets to drive, but we don't get to argue about Jesus. We are 100% unified. Now, when I stand up here to preach, are you 100% unified with me? That as I stand here and you bring perhaps a friend, are you fired up that I'm preaching the word that I'm preaching? Are you unified with me? Will you stand behind me? I would certainly hope so. Because your fellow, go- your fellow ministers of the gospel with me. You guys have witnessed what I've witnessed. Your life's transformed. My life's transformed. When I go out there and people go, nuh-uh, will you back me up? That's your job. And when you preach, will I back you up? You bet. You bet I'll come behind you and say, that's right. He knows what he's talking about. She knows what she's talking about. I'm right there behind you. Complete unity. Why did Peter get to preach the first sermon? It's kind of a rip-off. How come John didn't get it? I like John better than Peter anyway. <laughs> How come he didn't get it? Because And all the lists of disciples, Peter's always mentioned first. He's kind of the big dog. He was the guy that Jesus just pulled out and said, all right, loudmouth, get out there. You're going to do this for him. All right, Holy Spirit motivates him. He steps out. All the rest of the disciples are like, let's let Peter go. <laughs> if it doesn't go well, he'll get hit first. <laughs> we can all run, you know, and everybody takes one step back when he starts talking, you know. Let him go out there, and he raises his voice, and he says, all right, you guys, nobody's drunk here. All right. Now, I know you're all looking at us and we're a bunch of freaks. I understand that. I understand we've been doing some really weird stuff. We're not loaded. It's only nine in the morning. Come on. A little connection with the crowd. And you go, wait a second, Peter, don't I remember you? Aren't you that guy that was all afraid of that little girl that said, are you with Jesus? Aren't you the guy that denied him three times just a few verses ago? What have you been drinking? Why are you suddenly all bold? And you stand out there and you look like you know what you're talking about and you're not running away. I thought you were the guy that just panicked right off the bat. As a matter of fact, it says that when Jesus looked down from the cross and the ladies were there, when all you guys bailed out, finally one guy had the guts, he steps back up. And who was that? Wasn't you, Peter. It was John. Because Jesus looked down and told him to take care of his mom. So John showed up. Where were you? And why do you think that you have it now? What changed in Peter? Coming of the Holy Spirit? Proof of a resurrected Christ? What was it? It was all these things. Convinced of the Word, a passion for the Word, he knew that what he was about to speak was it. You see, I come up here bold before you, not because I think I'm smart, but because I'm convinced that what I'm telling you is true. I can proclaim as confidently as possible the Word of God. You ask for my opinion, I suddenly humble down, i got to back off the pulpit a little bit and tell you an opinion. Comes to the Bible, oh, I'll proclaim it strong. You see, because Peter was a different man, he had changed in a matter of days. In 40 days, there was all these convincing proofs that Jesus resurrected from the dead and that he was the Messiah and that everything Peter believed was true. The Holy Spirit comes crashing into his life, empowers him for service. He's fired up with the word. He has a good message and he's ready to go. Do you realize you have all those parts? How come you're not doing this? You have the Holy Spirit, yes? Uh, Are you a believer? If you're a believer this morning, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the power Peter has. You have the word, I hope. If you don't have one, I'll get one for you. Do you know it? Are you fired up for God? Because 
if you're saved and you got a message and you got the power of the Holy Spirit and you got all these things and you're totally convinced that Jesus rose from the dead, you have everything Peter has. You, not me, only you as well, could stand up and do what Peter did under the power of the Holy Spirit. He starts out right where they're at. He's speaking to an all-Jewish audience, and what did the Jewish people know real well? The Old Testament. So he pulls out an Old Testament passage, and that's exactly what we're called to do in our evangelism, is grab people from where they're at and move them towards Jesus. You know, every time I think about what do I want to do in this church, where do I want to move the church, and how do I want... You know what? I want to take you from where you're at and scoot you towards Jesus. That's my whole job. And that means that all our starting points are different. Some of us are intellectual. Some of us are passionate. Some of us are this. Some of us are that. I'll catch you where you're at, grab you, and move you towards Jesus. That's my job. And that's your job with the people around you. Your job is not to manipulate them. Your job is not to bully them. Your job is not to try to do a slick move and a bait and switch on them. Your job is not to do any of those things. Your job is to proclaim clearly the message that you know is true in your heart. If you don't know what's true in your heart, keep your mouth shut. But if you know, if you really believe this stuff, open your mouth. Tell them about it. Just tell them what you have. Let God sort it out. He'll take care of it. Your job is not to beat them over the head. So here Peter does. is He grabs where they're at and he grabs this message from the Old Testament and he by saying, Jesus Christ is your promised Messiah in your Old Testament that you know so well, it was all talking about Jesus. Do you understand the whole Bible talks about Jesus? It's not just the New Testament. The whole thing. Jesus is so huge, everything's about him. He said, let me explain something about the last days. You guys all heard that term, the last days? The last days I can explain very clearly is this. It's the point when the Messiah shows up, Jesus came, so we're already in the last days, and then it's a whole span of time till he shows up again. All right? Shows up again, goes to the millennial kingdom, boom. Right? That whole thing is the last days. Now, so far, it's lasted over 2,000 years. It's a long period. It's not the last day. It's last days. It's a long period. We don't know how long it's going to last. Could Jesus go on for another 1,000 years without returning? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Will he? I have no idea. He could come tonight. You come today. But the deal is, is that in the last days, things begin to change. Because when Jesus came to this earth, when the cross happened, not only did the whole world change, but the whole supernatural world changed. Everything got rocked. Everything got turned upside down. All of a sudden, he began to reign. Now, the problem was, is that the Jewish mindset... Read Old Testament prophecy, and you gotta say, when you read Old Testament stuff, sometimes it's not really easy to understand. Yes? Alright, cool. Well, on the same page. <laughs> I hope. When you read the Old Testament prophecy, just like you read Joel, he says, in the last days, there will be a prophecy and a bunch of blood. <laughs> you're like, what? What are you talking about? I don't even understand what you're saying. So, in one day, we're gonna have a bunch of prophecy, a bunch of weird people, and then we're gonna have a bunch of smoke and fire. That's kind of weird. Well, I guess I'll know when that day shows up. Because doesn't it all sound like one day? See, that was the problem in the Jewish mindset. Whenever they'd read Old Testament prophecy, 
The Old Testament prophets saw these incredible things, and he's like, all right, I'll write it down. He's writing it down, what he sees, but doesn't give a timeline. So in the Jewish mindset, they assumed that when the Messiah would show up, he would launch his reign and his kingdom on earth. Because they didn't know there was a gap. They didn't know that he would come once, pause, come again. It doesn't say that in the Old Testament clearly. Now it says it, but it has to be interpreted for you. You have to figure it out. It's not obvious. I do not blame the Jewish people one iota for thinking that when Jesus said he was a Messiah, that they said, all right, let's go. Let's set up your kingdom. If you're him, let's go. I'm ready to go. Because that's what my Bible says. My Old Testament says that when the Messiah shows up, he's going to reign forever. Wait, where are you going? See the point? Now, what they do remain condemned for, what they do remain responsible for, is that when God did say, this is what I meant, they didn't listen to him. There's the problem. See, you have all these assumptions in your head about how God's supposed to do stuff. How he's supposed to work your marriage, how he's supposed to work your kids, how he's supposed to work in your lives, how he's supposed to work in your job. And then he gives you a little plan and he gives you all these promises that you'll be taken care of and that you're going to get all the food that you need, you're going to get the clothes that you need, you're going to get all this stuff. You're looking at your life and going, when? I thought it was today. Well, I understand how you thought that, but no, there's a gap. There's a period of faith. And we got to wait. Well, God, nah, you said that you promised me that I would have everything I needed. Yeah, but did I promise you when? No. Okay, then. Then I told you, you need to simmer down. You need to wait. And you get angry. That's what you're held responsible for. Not that you automatically assume that all God's promises will come true for you today. I'm not holding you responsible for that, neither is God. But when he redirects you and tells you, no, 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 you need to hold on a second. We're working in your life. And you know what? You're not ready yet. When he tells you to wait, it is your job to be obedient and to wait. Not to lash back at him, not to hate his guts, not to try to go find a new religion that you can manipulate. It's your job and your responsibility to settle down and wait for his timing. So what is Joel's prophecy talking about? It talks about very simply this. In these last days, the Spirit's going to get poured out. When the Spirit gets involved in things, it starts getting radical. As we get closer and closer to the end, God is drawing more and more people to himself. He's gathering things in. Remember how I told you last week we have a Pentecost an hour? Do you remember that? I told you all the statistics, and though they had Pentecost 3,000 in one day, we have 3,000 in an hour coming all over the world. Do you remember that? God is gathering in, gathering in all over the world, people everywhere. You can be a part of this. You can be part of that huge harvest that he's gathering all these people in because why is he waiting to come back? To give people time to repent. That's why. It's not like he doesn't know what to do. It doesn't mean that he's kind of going, well, ah, I'm early. I got to... That's not what he's doing. He's waiting for you to repent and he's gathering in more people. Well, when it finally comes down and everything starts exploding at the end, well, then it starts getting crazy. And that's what we would consider the tribulation period, the launch in the millennial kingdom. Okay? That's what we're talking about where there's the, the moon turns to blood and blah, blah, blah. That's one particular period. That's not going on all the time. It's not like you're missing it. Okay? All right? 
Was it was the moon blood last night? I forgot to ask. Imagine the feeling of the crowd as they're listening to this. Here's their mindset. They see a bunch of guys doing weird stuff. And they're looking at them and they want to discount it. They wanted to say this whole Jesus thing isn't legit. But they look at him and they said, all right, I'm listening to what you say and here's my problem. You're doing weird stuff. You got my attention. And what's the weirdest thing about it is you keep talking about this Jesus guy who I remember. But what's really odd is that I believe in the Father. I believe in God. And he seems to suggest that everything you're doing is okay. He's actually empowering you to do this weird stuff. I don't get it. But if what you say is true, we have some serious problems. Because if you tell me that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you tell me that the Messiah I've been waiting for my whole life, because remember, the Jews are really into the Messiah. They've been waiting for this guy to show up, to set up his kingdom. It's their whole life. It's their whole hope. If you tell me that's really true and it was Jesus, then that means I missed it. And I killed him. What does that mean for me? You begin to see it begin to settle into their souls. And he said this, Men of Israel, listen to me. Jesus of Nazareth was accredited to you, accredited to you by God through miracles, wonders, and signs. You guys saw this stuff. He did stuff that no one else did. And you knew that he wasn't faking it. You knew it was legitimate. You knew all this stuff, and what did you do with it? You tossed it away. You kept saying, no, 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 God's not talking to me. No, 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 God's not talking to me. No, he is talking to you. He's talking to you right now. And then he used two things to explain Jesus to them that they knew very well. Number one, a coming Messiah based on the Abrahamic covenant. What does that mean? Through Abraham, God promised him that through his line, the Jewish line, would come the Messiah. Okay? Now, to the Jews, Abraham's it. He's the man. He's everything. So in their mind, they're thinking, yeah, I remember the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, wait a second. Jesus was a Jew. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Okay, he would have fit the Messiah line. And then he uses the second thing, the Davidic covenant. Through King David, he said, you will always have someone in your family line on the throne. And the, finally, the Messiah will come down that line and will reign on the throne forever. And they said, yeah, so, oh no, Jesus was in David's line too. Oh man, this is getting thick. See the problem? They're beginning to organize all this together, and Peter's establishing Jesus' credentials. God gave this guy power for some reason. This guy claimed to be God in human flesh, and God didn't argue with him. He seemed to agree with him. There was all these convincing proofs of his title as Messiah. They found, you know what? It was clearer that Jesus was deity, and that the Father was saying, this is it. This is my Messiah. This is your Savior. What are you going to do with him? What's so neat is that in... You can imagine Peter remembered these words of Jesus. In John 15, 24, Jesus said, If I had not done among these people what no one else did, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. But they've seen the miracles, and yet they hated both me and my father anyway. This fulfills what was written in their own law. They hated me without reason. you got a choice today. Will you believe the words of God or not? 
He's given you convincing proofs. He's not going to give you any more, perhaps. If he stopped right now trying to convince you that he was Lord and King in your life, and he should be, if he stopped right now, he'd be justified. He's given you enough. You know what? Stop doubting. Make a choice. And if he is your Lord and Savior, then why aren't you following him daily? you got a decision. What's going on? They looked at him and they said, Peter, i got a problem with your little message. All right, you say Jesus is the Messiah. Then how come he looks so weak and he got killed? Oh, Jesus wasn't weak. As a matter of fact, Jesus said these words in John 10, 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Nobody takes it away from me. I lay it down on my own accord and I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus, Peter begins to say this. Yeah, you guys saw a weak man. But you missed it. You missed the powerful Messiah. Everything was organized. That Jesus Christ could lay his life down, he could take it up again. Nobody pulled one over on Jesus. When he walked into that garden, he knew what he was walking into. It wasn't an accident. He watched Judas give him up a long time ago. He knew exactly what was going on. Jesus was the ultimate source and pillar of power. Despite knowing he was going to the cross, he walked in confidently and said, what are you going to do to me? What, are you going to take me out? Let's do it. Let's go now. That Jesus standing before them when he could have tried to lie his way out, he could have tried to fake it, he could have got away from the trial and everything else, he stood there and took it like a man. They beat him. They ripped his beard out. They did all these things. And did he sit there and try to play a game? No. He took it. What are you going to do to me? What, are you going to kill me? That's why I came. The ultimate source of power. Side note. You guys, I was talking to someone the other day, and I learned this and ripped this off from somebody else. Is that they said, what about this whole turning the other cheek thing? When somebody, you know, they insult you and you're supposed to turn the other cheek, what's this all about? Let me give you the insight that this other gentleman gave to me. Do you understand that in the natural human instinct, we have two major instincts when we're in trouble, when we're assaulted? And that's fight or flight. It's neither. Turning the other cheek is neither. It's denying your human instinct of fight or flight, and it's standing there in front of the other person and making them answer for what they're doing. When they smack you on the cheek, you look at them back and you say, is that really what you wanted to do? Go ahead. You got another call. That is the ultimate stance of strength, is to turn the other cheek. You're not running away. You're not fighting him and beating him up. You stand there and say, look at what you've become. Look at what you're doing. And that's what Jesus did. In the ultimate sense of strength, he stood before the Jews. He stood before the Romans and said, is this really what you want? I'm not going to strike back at you. I'm not going to run away. Is this what you want? They said, yeah, Peter, but he died. And I'm telling you, Peter, that, hey, if you got a guy who did fancy miracles and then died, you got a really great story, but you don't have a Messiah. And Peter said, well, that's funny, because I told you in one verse about his life and death, and I'm about to tell you in nine, his resurrection. You see, because that's the crux of the matter. If my Jesus didn't raise again, hey, I'll admit being an idiot. 
No problem. But if my Jesus rose from the dead, that means you've got to answer to him someday. And either I'm right or you're right. You make a call. Because if I'm right, you're in some serious trouble. If you're right, I'm a fool. I can handle that. But you, we're talking about your eternity. And he began to explain them through our prophecy. He uses Psalm 16. He uses Psalm 119. He uses all these different things. Excuse me, Psalm 110. And he uses all these things and begins to show them. No, even David knew. David speaking on behalf of the Messiah. It's like David was going, man, this is how I feel. You know, I feel like the Lord's just given me stuff to write. I gotta, I gotta write this down. He begins to write this stuff down. We call them Psalms. He wrote down some messianic psalms, and it was almost like he was, in a sense, transcribing for the Messiah. And so, sure enough, he's just saying that Jesus said, listen, I want to show you why I have so much strength, why I have so much power. Because I always have the Lord before me, Psalm says. The Lord is always in front of me. Everywhere I go, he's in front of me. Either it's in church, or it's in friends, or it's in people, or it's in the Word of God, or it's something. I always have him in front of me, and so I always get fired up. And it gives me joy. It just brings out and makes me want to rejoice that, you know what? I know you're not going to abandon me to the grave. I know that when I face that cross, that right behind that cross is reigning forever. I got no problem with that. I'm willing to take the lumps now for what's going to come down the future. And that's what you need to hold before you. The very same mode of strength that you would say, I stand resolute as a Christian. I will not be knocked over. I will not be run over. I will not be... Freaked out because I know that my hope is in Christ and he will never disappoint. That I will stand here strong in my faith with God always before me, living in the presence of Christ, always before me, the air I breathe, my daily bread, always before me. And because of that, not only will I not fear, but I will begin to billow up with rejoicing. I will begin to have joy fill my whole spirit. And I will live not as a victim, but in victory. You see? When the people heard what Peter had to say, it says, that they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, what do we do? What do we do? This is my favorite part. The verse in Greek says they were stabbed with remorse and guilt over their sin. Stabbed. They were almost physically sick to their stomach with what they have done to Jesus, with what they have done in their lives. And they said, what do we do? You see, we sang the song that says, I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. If you have never had a period like that in your life where you were desperate for Christ, I doubt your salvation. If you, now remember, I, from all practical purposes, the earliest knowledge I have of coming to a knowledge of Christ was seven years old. I was desperate for him. Was it that I was turning from a deep life of sin? No. No, but I was lost without him. That's all. If you don't have an attitude today as a believer that you're desperate for him and lost without him, you won't grow. You won't grow. You must be reduced to needing him, to listening for him. 
the problem that you don't hear him so much is because you don't need him. You're not desperate. You don't even care. There's no growth for you. There's no healing for you. You're not sick enough. You're not wounded enough. You're not messed up enough. For Jesus said, the people that are well don't need a doctor. I came for the sick. These men killed their Messiah by handing him over to their worst enemies, the Romans. What do you do? There's no do-overs. They want to make it right. They want to answer back. They want to say, give me another chance. They want to say, what about my sin? They want to say, what about the wrath? They want to say all these things. They're dying in their heart. And they said, Peter, you got to tell us, what do we do? I'm willing to do anything. Are you willing to do anything? No? There'll be very little growth. Very little growth. Peter was willing to do anything. He says, all right. You sure about that? Could cost you your life. I need you to repent. Well, what does that mean? It means do it his way and stop doing it your way. And turning your whole life over to him. Well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, then I don't know if you're ready. You need to repent and be baptized. Well, why the baptism thing? Because when we march out of here and we go down to the river, everyone in this whole nation is going to know what you've done. You just separated from Judaism and you turned to Jesus Christ. And they're going to hate your guts. There are no secret agents in the body of Christ. I want you to stand here and say that you follow Jesus Christ. Well, Peter, I might lose my family. You might. Well, Peter, did you ever lose anything? Yep. And I'm about to. I'm about to be crucified upside down. I'm about to die for Jesus. And I'm willing to go. He told them they would receive the Holy Spirit just like they had. He said, the promise is not only for you and your kids, but for everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. And it says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 showed up. Peter did not make it easy to be saved. Part of the problem in our churches today and part of the problem in my heart today, because I'm a pastor like all the other pastors, is I want to make it easy for you to come to Christ. I want you to raise your hand because that makes me feel good. See, when I do a whole message of repentance, I want a bunch of people to come forward because that means I'm doing an adequate job for Jesus. Or does it? You see, it's not about trying to get you down on the aisle. It's not about an easy decision. You know what? It's got to be hard. And Peter made it hard. He told them that they needed to publicly repent and then they needed to show the whole world that they followed Jesus. Just like the rich man that came up to Jesus and said, what do I do? He said, well, looking at your life, money's your problem, man. Give it all up. And that guy walked away sad. You got 3,000 that said yes. You got one guy that said no. What are you going to do today? Matt, can you bring the team on up and close us? But you know what, everyone? 
The reason why I say that you can do this and you can preach this very same message is that although Peter preached a great message, although every part was there, although he used the Old Testament, although he did this and that and the other thing, you know what saved people? The Holy Spirit saved people. Peter didn't save people. And neither will you. You will never save anyone. But through you, God will save multitudes. Would you open your mouth and be open to those around you at work? Would you be able to express Jesus in a natural way with the people you love the most? It's about God. It's about the drawing of the Holy Spirit. It's about the influence of Christ. It's about the drawing of the Father. He can do all this through you. You can have a day just like this. You can have thousands of people respond to you in your lifetime through the power, through the Spirit, through you. Have you shared the gospel of Christ? I challenge you today to lift them up. Lift them up in whatever manner you know how. I challenge you to have a passion for the word that when you lift them up in your life and people say, you know what, I need something. I need what you have. I want to be as peaceful as you are. When they say that, if you don't know the words, you don't have an answer for them. Got to be passionate about this. Do you have a reason? Or is your lack of passion your reason why you keep your mouth shut? Your choice. God can do the same through you. To you, this.